Hi, this is Mo. And this is Sarah, and you're listening to the podcast Bird Shit. We started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world. It's the most birdiest episode of the year. That's how that goes, right? Um, You know, I don't... Sometimes they all kind of blend together for me. All I ever think about is Home Alone. Like, when you think of Christmas songs or just in yeah. general? <laughs> yeah, all I'm thinking about every day of the year is Home Alone. But no, I am thinking about how multiple times they lose their kid in the airport. In the second year, they're like, oh, let's just all get on the plane. We're rushing on the plane. We're not going to check on the plane if everyone is here. I don't know. I have a, I have a huge problem with that family. Yeah. And you know what? Like... Since that movie was made before 9-11, can you imagine how hard it would be to forget somebody now? Like, you're standing in the TSA line for, like, 12 hours. You're definitely going to notice if someone's missing. Wow. Okay. Thanks, TSA. You have saved all the future Macaulay Culkins (laughs) from getting on the wrong plane because they thought it was their dad in the same coat. God bless the TSA. Merry Christmas, TSA. You work hard. They do work hard. Anyways, Mo, we are here to talk about... The holidays. It's our first annual Christmas edition of Birdship Podcast. Even though neither one of us really celebrates Christmas? I mean, I celebrate in the sense that, like, I definitely have already listened to Hanson Snowden album, and I set up my American Girl Christmas tree, because that's the only tree I have. Wait, please describe this American Girl Christmas tree to Oh, me? it's like the Amer- It's like a little tiny baby tree that, that would come with your American Girl doll. And when I say come with, I mean, you probably paid too much money for it. But when I was like 12, I got this American Girl Christmas tree for my American Girl doll. And guess what? I've used it every year. <laughs> I freaking love this little tree so much. Do you set up the American Girl doll next to it? No, I don't know where she went. She gone. So you kept the tree, though? I don't know. Yeah, I kept the tree. I need to see a photo of this later. I'll make sure to send you one. Yeah, I've listened to Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You 12 million times already. See? We're in the spirit. I actually hung up some Christmas lights outside my house, too. Oh, wow. I have a banner that has birds on it and holly, and I hung that up in my living room. Aw, so festive! I know! That's all I have, though. That and, like, a snow globe and a shit ton of candles that smell like pine. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Your eyes are kind of rolling in the back of your head when you say that. (laughs) That's that's how it should be. And now you're like sniffing your nose like you're doing like pine candle coke. (laughs) Actually, yeah. I just melt the wax, form it into little lines, chop it up, and then snort it. So that way I can keep the smell with me all day. I don't know why we don't get a real tree because I love the smell of pine, but... We don't. I just light a ton of candles. Someday I'm just going to give you a whole bunch of those like pine air freshener, Christmas tree car fresheners. Oh my God. I probably have six in my car right now. Your car is more festive than your house. I know. I just feel like Thanksgiving was so close to Christmas this year. I like have not had time to mentally transition over except for when listening to music or watching Home Alone 2 for the 500th time. Two or one. Is two or one your favorite? Okay. Two is lost in New York, right? Yeah. Okay, so, like, I think the finale scene of two is better than one. And also, there's a pigeon lady in two, so, like, that's kind of, she's our people. Yeah, that's what I was, I was waiting for you to get to the fact that birds are heavily involved in the second one, so. Yeah, yeah, so obviously birds. 
obviously birds, so that one wins. My brothers, as a side note, think Home Alone 3 is the best one, and that one is insanely terrible, but you should watch it. Oh, I think your brothers are wrong. Oh, yeah, they're so wrong, but it's kind of hilarious. Well, I mean, Mo, should we talk about... Birds, birds in the news. news. Birds, birds in the news. Birds, 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 birds in, in the news. news. Wow, I think that's the like maybe one time that we've actually sung the words together the entire time. It's very close. I think we're pretty good. It only took until this episode. <laughs> yeah, it only took like I don't know how many episodes to get it right. Merry Christmas, everyone. We sang our song right. <laughs> this episode is now over. <laughs> I want to tell you the happiest story that I've read about birds so far this year. Oh my God. Yes. It is about this 91-year-old man named George Adams who lives in southwestern Ontario. And this wonderful, wonderful man has spent his retirement building over 900 birdhouses and placing them all around Huron County in Canada. I mean, this guy is literally just putting up birdhouses all over The first year he went out and he hung up 25 of these birdhouses that he built and no one said anything. So he just like kind of kept going. Oh, damn. So in the spring every year, he goes out and cleans the birdhouses so that they're ready for new occupants. He estimates that he cleans somewhere between 50 and 100 birdhouses every day in the spring as he's gearing up for the new flocks to come in. He has found that in the spring, about 99% of his birdhouses are occupied. Oh, dang. So he's been putting these birdhouses up for about 20 years all over Ontario. He builds them himself. He kind of came up with his own little design. And it's a really cool thing that this guy just decided to start doing because birds need a place to live. And he has been noticing that there's been fewer places for birds to rest or live. And the quote that he had that I thought was really touching was, Mother Nature's been pretty good to me all my life, so I'm making a little effort to give some back. Unbelievable. Oh my god. He's like the lady in Home Alone 2 with the pigeons, except he is every bird's daddy. <laughs> that sounds kind of weird when you say it like that. <laughs> Fine. Can I say he's a dad to every bird? That sounds a little bit better. I think what I love about this story is he retired and he needed something to do with his time and he is just doing this great thing, not only for birds, but for the community that now gets to appreciate all these birds that have a home where he lives in Ontario. And I just think that's a great story. So thank you, George Adams, for doing your part for helping the birds and making it possible for them to come back to where they live every year. That is a wonderful story. I actually don't have a sad story either. Well, it's kind of sad in the fact that someone passed away, but My story comes from the New York Times, and it is actually about the 007 of birds. This past week, James Bond, a leading ornithologist whose name was adopted by Ian Fleming for the fictional British agent 007, passed away at his home at the age of 89. So Mr. Bond's contribution to popular culture came after the World War II when Ian Fleming saw the book that he wrote called Birds of the West Endings. He saw this name and Ian Fleming decided like this is the perfect masculine name that I need for my new thriller spy novel. So he actually wrote to Mr. Bond's wife saying that, you know, it struck me that this was a really cool name and I wanted to use it. And he said, and I quote, Um, I can only offer you or James Bond unlimited use of the name Ian Fleming for any purposes you may think fit. 
Perhaps one day your husband will discover a particularly horrible species of bird which would he would like to Christian in an insulting fashion by calling it Ian Fleming. I thought that was very funny by Mr. Ian Fleming. As far as I know, there are no birds named after him. But more importantly, the ornithologist Mr. Bond was very well known for his knowledge of birds in the West Indies. He visited more than 100 Caribbean islands and collected 294 of the 300 species living there. And he also wrote more than 100 books and scientific papers on Caribbean birds. I thought this was really cool that the most well-known spy character in, I think, all of pop culture is named after an ornithologist. It takes my fantasies to a whole new level. Like, every time I'm going to watch Daniel Craig in a Bond movie, I'm going to be like, that guy's a birder. He's an ornithologist. That is the hottest thing I've ever seen. You're like, I could be with my binoculars out in the woods and find a 007. Booyah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like he uses binoculars a lot. No? Yeah, yeah, he's got like little, he's got binoculars yeah. and like all kinds of shit. Like yeah. little tiny binoculars. They're for birds, not They're for, for spying on spies. <laughs> yeah, like they actually were like, okay, 007, you've got a new mission. And please, for the love of God, stop looking at birds this time. You've got to go kill somebody. <laughs> and he'd be like, sorry, guys, I got to get a count in. Can't stop e-birding for one day. Nope, he's got to keep it going. Maybe he's got a, probably a pretty good streak going. Imagine all the places that he's been to see birds. Oh my god, he would have the largest count ever. Yeah, he's been to so many different countries and like really remote areas. Like think about those crazy mountains he's been in and like underwater and I don't know, not that you see birds underwater, but you know what I'm saying. He's been to dope ass places. I would like to note that 2019 marks the 120th Christmas bird count. Mo, are you so excited by this? That's 120 years of birds counts on Christmas. 120 years of counting birds. The CBC, as it is lovingly called, is one of the largest, longest-running citizen science efforts in the world. The first count actually began on Christmas Day in 1900, when Frank Chapman, an ornithologist at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, proposed it as an alternative to hunting birds on Christmas. I love this man. I would have married him in 1900. We approve this decision very, very much. Good job, Frank Chapman. The CBC is not your average birding adventure. You can't just go out all willy-nilly and start tracking birds in your eBird app or counting the birds that visit your feeder over a few hours. Essentially, what we're trying to say is that the CBC is not like your typical big day count where you can just go out birding whenever you want for any given amount of time. The Christmas bird count always takes place from December 14th to January 5th. Each count takes place in an established 15-mile wide diameter circle, and it is organized by a count compiler. So each circle has its own compiler, and you have to make sure that you work with that compiler if you're going to go count birds in that area. Count volunteers will follow a very specified route through this designated circle, counting every bird that they see or hear during the course of the day. It's not just a species tally either. All the birds are counted all day, giving an indication of the total number of birds in the circle for that day. If you want to participate in this, you'll need to get in touch with the compiler for that area. Make sure you check the Audubon Society's website for helpful local maps of each designated 15-mile circle near you. The site also includes the contact information for each compiler, making it easier to sign up and get info about when a specific count is taking place. The CBC is a great way for beginner birders to get involved because you'll get paired with an experienced birder, which 
Sounds great to me. (laughs) You can participate in as many different counts as you like. Anyone can join, and it is absolutely free, which is basically like, hey, do you want to go get some training and improve your birding? It's free. This is awesome. Albeit, you may have to be outside in the cold for a little bit, so bundle up. Yeah, bundle up. So back in the first year, in 1900, 27 people counted about 90 different species across 25 different locations in North America. An average 15-mile diameter circle today in the U.S. identifies about 85 bird species, which usually brings a total up to 670 species tallied in the U.S. and Canada. In 1972, the Christmas bird count decided to be inclusive and step up their game to include counts in Latin America. Today, there are an additional 100 circles that are counted in countries including Mexico, Colombia, and Costa Rica. With the Latin American neotropics added in, the diversity of species can jump to a whopping 2,400 species total, or approximately 65 to 70 million individual birds. Let's hear it for Southern Migration. That's awesome. As we pointed out, CBC is vital to help protect the future of birds. The Audubon Society states that the data collected by CBC participants contributes to one of only two large existing pools of info, notifying ornithologists and conservation biologists about what conservation action is required to protect birds in the places they need. If you're interested, the other important pool of data is the North American Breeding Bird Survey. And this is a collaboration between the U.S. Geological Survey's Patton Wildlife Research Center and Environment Canada's Canadian Wildlife Service. According to National Geographic, data from the CBC has directly helped conservation efforts to protect birds, one of which includes the American black duck, after a decline was noted in the birds' wintering populations in the 1980s. After all the devastating news we've heard about the future of some species this year, which we've shared, we know the importance of these conservation efforts. If you want to step up and help out birds, do a Google search for Audubon Society Christmas Bird Count. This is where you'll get your maps, contact information, and the dates for the CBC circles near you. We'll also have a link to this in the podcast notes, so we really, really, really encourage everyone, I know listeners are probably already interested, in participating in the local CBC near you. Hit it up, stand in a 15-mile circle for a few hours. I know, and even if you're newer birders, like we, I, I still call myself a new birder, you like will get trained with someone, so this is definitely an opportunity to improve your skills and just get some experience, but also really, really provide important data. And I think I'm probably going to consider myself a new birder until I like reach James Bond levels. Oh, yeah. I'm going to consider myself a birder until, like, I can take two seconds of a bird song and then turn my head in, like, a dramatic fashion to the camera and be like, that was that bird. I'm going to walk around with a camera and just film you until you can finally give me that moment to capture. In the spirit of the Christmas count, today we're going to be talking about the birds mentioned in everyone's favorite love-to-hate-it Christmas carol, The Twelve Days of Christmas. The Twelve Days of Christmas is an English Christmas carol thought to have originated in French that enumerates in the manner of a cumulative song a series of increasingly grand gifts given on each of the Twelve Days of Christmas. Isn't that a little weird that it's an English carol that originated in France? Yeah, I don't don't know. They didn't have Brexit back then, so it was probably fine. Yeah, they were probably not as busy doing stuff, so they're like, oh, I heard the French came up with this song. Let's take it. We take everything else. (laughs) Let's pillage their carols. (laughs) What are you doing for Christmas, John? Well, I'm going to go pillage some carols from the French. (laughs) 
<laughs> and eat my figgy pudding. <laughs> eat my figgy pudding. Hey, I heard the French got this hot new jingle. It's got 12 different things in it. Let's go take them. It's all about some really dumb fucking weird gifts that someone's giving someone. Also, I love out of all the impersonations we just get, not one of them had an English accent. <laughs> or really a French accent. I don't know what accent we did. I just, I just made myself sound snooty. So there we go. We were going for a stereotype, not historical reenactment. No, not at all. I'm not going to pretend like that's the most important thing we're talking about today. Nope. Actually, we're just going to talk about the English Empire for the rest of the time. (laughs) No, just kidding. We're going to talk about this carol and the birds in it. You got so serious. I was like, just kidding. That was a joke. We're talking about birds. We're talking about birds, guys. It's very serious. The best known English version of this carol was first printed in 1780 in a book intended for children called Mirth Without Mischief as a memorization game to be played on the 12th night. Participants were required to repeat a verse of poetry recited by the leader. Players who made an error were required to pay a penalty in the form of offering a kiss or confection? I don't know. That's super weird. Imagine, that's where we have the plague started. Okay, wait. So if I got it wrong, I had to say, okay, someone can kiss me? No, you had to give it out. If you got it wrong, you had to go kiss somebody. Okay, do I get to choose who I kiss? I don't know the logistics, but I think that you would probably opt for kissing everyone so you didn't have to give up your candy. Yeah, I would not give up my candy. I'd, I'd be like, anyone can kiss me. Out my mouth. Just keep my candy. Don't take it. Well, I mean, and also, like, it's not really much of a penalty if they're like, you can kiss whoever you want, because I'd kiss myself or whoever I thought was hottest at the party, and then be like, oh, oops, I guess I have to kiss you. I didn't memorize this poem at all, and I've messed up 20 times, and I keep kissing just you. <laughs> I would I would definitely French kiss you to take the candy out of your mouth. I'd give you a double whammy. <gasps> oh, man, that would be the best punishment ever. <laughs> I was trying to be like, is this bad? I'm getting French kiss, but she's taking the candy. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm, questions. <sighs> Super weird. Don't like it. I think we should play it next time we're together. We should tell college kids like, hey guys, you should play the 12 Days of Christmas cooties game. Yeah. I think they're already playing it without the poem part. They're just doing body shots instead of kissing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we would definitely make it much more of a chaste party if we were like, we're going to go around. And we're going to say this poem. And if you get it wrong, you have to kiss someone on the cheek or give up a piece of candy. No, you don't want to play? No one wants to play? (laughs) That's what I feel like I would be like. It would be like, if you lose, you have to go like everyone's recent picture on Instagram. There you go. Or you have to go in like like a random person's picture on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Like the guy that you hooked up with last time we sang this carol. Oh, yeah. There we go. This is making it spicy. Spicy carols. All right. Well, according to Vox, as we know, the 12 Days of Christmas, like Sarah just explained, is a song where you talk about all these great gifts that you're going to give the person that you love, whether you're kissing them or not. And according to Vox, the estimated cost of all the gifts in the song, based on the 2018 market rates, was a total of $39,094.93. Or if you count each mention of the item separately, so like, for instance, by the time you get to 12, you're counting 12, 11, 10, 9, etc. Um, that accumulation is $170,609. <laughs> 
And that would also be 364 gifts in all, which is basically one gift for every day of the year. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Probably not. I would definitely be creeped out if someone was like, hey, over these 12 days, I'm going to give you 40 grand in gifts. But don't feel like you need to do anything. Yeah. This is just me expressing my love to you, but it's fine if you made me a card with macaroni pieces. (laughs) And that told me you didn't really give me a gift. (laughs) Which is basically my way of saying that. But thanks for all the birds, as you're about to find out. So there are also rumors that the 12 Days of Christmas is a Catholic song, which encodes catechism symbolism into each of the gifts. So for instance, the baby Jesus is the partridge in a pear tree, and the 12 Pipey Pipers are like the apostles, etc. But these are just rumors. So thank you, internet. That's why we're here to talk about the real stars of this song, birds. Because you know what? There are a lot of birds in this song. Yeah, they're also the real stars of Christmas, let's be honest. It's all about the birds. Sorry, Jesus. Step aside. So, we're going to talk about all the birds in the song. So, the first one goes like this. On the first day of Christmas... Wait, wait, wait. We're not going to sing it? Okay, fine. I'll sing it. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. I have no idea what the symbolism is behind giving someone a frickin' partridge in a pear tree. So, we're just going to talk about the birds and the partridges, because this is, like, a really weird gift. Like, can you imagine going out into your front yard, and this dude's like, hey, I planted this tree, and there's two birds in it. Here you go. Well, there'd only be one bird. Well, there'd be, uh, fine, one bird. There's a partridge in it. That'd be cool. But I'd also be like, I didn't want the tree there. You have to dig it up and put it somewhere else. Yeah, it's weird. I'm sure there's some symbolism behind this weird putting a pear in your yard and putting a partridge in it. I don't even know what it is, but so what we're going to talk about actually is the partridge. And there are two potential varieties that they think this bird could be. The first is the red-legged partridge or the French partridge. So as we talked about earlier, they thought the British stole this song from the French. So this is why they assume it could possibly be a French partridge. A French partridge is a spunky little bird that's native to France, but can also be found in England and Wales, where they were introduced for hunting. These tiny, rotund little birds um, have, well, they're not tiny, but they're just like round and smallish, kind of. They have a light brown back, a gray breast with pink on their belly, and they have cream throats with pink legs, which give them the red-legged partridge, and a red bill and eye ring, and they're usually about 10 to 12 pounds. The mature adults tend to eat seeds, however, the young will prefer to eat insects. Their call is a three-syllable ka-choo-choo, and when they're scared, they prefer to run rather than fly, which I bet is super adorable, Um, but they are capable of flying short distances. A fun fact about this species is that they have a long history of being bred in nobility, and Mo, you'll like this part, our history major. They're featured in Jean-Baptiste Audry's painting in the Louvre called Pheasant, Hare, and Red-Legged Partridge. Yay, art history! The second one it could possibly be is the gray partridge. So the gray partridge, as the name suggests, is a bit more dull in color and known for its dusky gray and orange face with rusty stripes on the side and a brown horseshoe-shaped patch on the breast. They are found in Europe and were introduced in North America in the early 1900s. They, unlike the French partridge, will burst into the air when frightened and fly low over the ground with rapid wing beats. One thing this species is known for is that the hens can lay up to 22, yes, that's right, 22 eggs among the most of any bird species. Like at one time? Yes. Like one brood is 22 eggs? One brood is 22 eggs. Holy crap. 
It's like a full month of ovulation. Oh, yeah. That's insane. That's like, I feel like that's like a turtle. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's what they actually meant is like you have a turtle in your pear tree. Well, funny enough, that leads right into the second bird we're going to talk about. Oh! On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtle doves. And then it it sounds better when you complete the phrase because it kind of leaves it off. But okay, so the next bird we're going to talk about is the turtle dove. So this species in the song is most likely the European turtle dove. These birds can be found in Europe, Turkey, and Africa and migrate in those areas and are known to inhabit wooded habitats and farmlands. They're a smaller sized dove generally with spotted wings and a striped neck. The name turtle dove does not come from their relation to turtles. Darn it. I know. It would be so cool. But rather their Latin name, Streptopelia turter, which comes from their purring tur-tur-tur song. Tur-tur-tur. Exactly. Good job, Mo. Now, the reason this bird was given on the second day is probably after the major fuck-up of giving a partridge in a pear tree, this person thought, oh, I should probably give something that really symbolizes love. Turtle doves are perfect for this as they form strong pear bonds and have become emblems of devoted love throughout history. Aww. This person, whoever's giving out these gifts, is shaping up. They were like, okay. Screwed up majorly, that girl or guy, whoever, that person did not want that pear tree in their yard. So you know what I'm going to do? She seemed to like the bird, so I'm going to go get two turtle doves, because this shows, like, how much I love. Why get one bird when you can get two? And now you got three. Yeah, now you got three. So we got three birds now. Yeah. Excellent. That this person has to take care of. All I could think about every time I hear this song is the Office episode with Andy giving Aaron all the different birds in the 12 Days of Christmas. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's reality right there. Unfortunately, it's my dream and Aaron's nightmare. But. Oh, it's my dream. We're on to your singing, girl, which is going to put mine to shame. I'm kind of embarrassed. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me three French hens. But these aren't just any hens. These hens are believed to be a specific breed of chicken Formerly called, I gotta look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they're called? Uh, yeah. They are formerly called fofferoles. This breed of chicken was developed in the 1860s in north central France near the villages of Houdan and Fafferol. The breed is named after the village, and therefore, even if there is only one French hen, it is still a fofferol, not a fofferol without the S. For anyone who doesn't know what I'm saying, the word of the hen has an S on the end because it's French. Even if there's one, there's still an S. It's not a pluralization thing. Another fun bit of trivia is that in the classic novel that inspired Les Mis, Fafferal is the hometown of the fictional protagonist, Jean Valjean. Isn't it two, four, six, eight, one? That's his number. Oh, I see. I've never seen it. Oh my God. I know. Oh, I love Les Mis and the book. The book is amazing. Book is long. I mean, now that I know it's based on a city that is related to a bird, you might see it. I'm obviously going to be into it. Anyway, so these chickens are large, colorful birds, and they have feathery earmuffs and beards, which even the females have the beards, which I just Aww. think is so adorable. It's such a cute little thing. Probably very nice in the winter, too, having those nice little earmuffs. Oh, yeah. They are very um, fertile birds. Maybe not as fertile as the 22 eggs in one go. But they are considered excellent layers for chickens, 
And each hen lays approximately four eggs per week, which is actually quite a lot. These birds are so prolific and they were favored by the French in the early 1900s, so much so that the Fafaral was the primary breed that produced eggs for the Paris market during the early part of the 19th century. That's so cool. Moving on. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me four collie birds. So you know how sometimes you get the lyrics to a song wrong and you can't ever sing the song the right way, mm-hmm. even though you know it's not right? Yeah. Yeah. So when Rihanna's song, like, please don't stop the music, music, when that song first came out, my mom thought she was singing, Hazel's got the music. <laughs> And I was like, Mom, who the fuck is Hazel? And she's like, I don't know, but she's got the music. And I'm like, that's incredible. So now I can't even hear that song now without thinking about Hazel having the music. It's okay. I have that with um, Michael Jackson. (gasps) Yeah, you had that with Billie Jean. I always thought the chair is not my own. The The chair is is not not my my own. own. I forgot that you used to sing that in college. Oh, man. Oh, that's a real And good. I remember being like, what What chair are you talking oh, about? Yeah, like, you, you were like, Sarah, what the fuck do you think this song is about? And I was like, I don't know, but he doesn't want that chair. Oh, Lord. No, he did not. Well, tell, tell me about these calling birds. Okay, so basically, this whole wrong lyric song basically applies to anybody who's ever sung the 12 Days of Christmas. The word that we mostly know as calling... As in, like, ring, ring, I'm a calling bird, was originally written as collie, C O L L Y. The word collie in Old English is an adjective that's used to describe something that's black, like coal. So, like, coley, like coley. Like, like you're getting a New Jersey accent is what you're going on here? <laughs> like, it was like a coley bird. Yeah, it's oh a coley bird. Yeah, like, I, I can't do the accent, obviously, but apparently. If you're British and something's coal-ish or like, then you sound right. So anyways, collie birds likely refer to blackbirds, which obviously would have been prevalent in England. And believe it or not, as I think it sort of is implied here, like all these birds in the first part of the song are birds that you can also eat. Partridge. Partridge and the goose and whatever. Blackbird was actually considered a delicacy back in medieval times. So that's why it's it's likely this collie bird. Yeah, because they had blackbird pie. They sure did. And I don't want to talk about that because that's super weird to me. Super weird. But there is a caveat for those of us who live in North America. Donald Kruzman, who was a retired ornithologist at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, told National Geographic that the blackbird of English literature is actually a close relative of the American robin, both of which are in the thrush family. So maybe it's actually a robin. Who knows? On the sixth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me six geese a lane. I don't know how to transition out of that. It is weird not finishing the song. I know. And what's five? We'll get to that in a minute. So if we go all the way back to Neolithic times, the goose is one of the oldest domesticated birds out there. Sorry, chickens. The goose. The goose got your gander. Yeah. The goose is also a topic of a lot of folklore, including tales that date all the way back to ancient Egypt. It is believed in this song that it's likely the gray lag goose. If nothing else, because the gray leg goose is the ancestor of all domesticated geese and therefore the most likely candidate for the song. The gray leg goose has mottled and barred gray and white plumage and an orange beak with pink little legs. Wild populations inhabit wetlands in Europe, Asia, and China, and any wild gray leg populations in the U.S. are actually just domestic geese that escaped, you know, either recently or a long, long time ago and they were brought over here. 
The lag part of their name is said to refer to their lagging behind because they tend to migrate later than other geese. And if you're ever wondering what they sound like, they just have a loud honk. That sounds adorable. And then on the seventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me seven swans of swimming. So we're on to the swans. These are the largest birds native to Europe and commonly were eaten at royal banquets, like another one of our birds, and are actually um, a well-known elegant symbol because they're often the symbol of black swan, which is the Russian ballet. They were originally introduced to North America to decorate ponds. However, like birds, they flew away from the ponds and are now commonly found in the U.S. I love that someone was like, oh, let's just put these beautiful looking birds in our pond and they'll stay there forever because what more could they possibly want or need? Yeah, people are idiots. So um, <laughs> the swan most likely in this song is the mute swan, which is white with an orange bill and black knob for the males with the large S-curved neck. They were nicknamed mute swans as they tend to be less vocal than other swan species. They are, however, powerful and very aggressive bird and within the U.S. are outcompeting the native trumpeter swan in some areas and are considered a threat to the native species. Ooh, they're like the silent but aggressive types. Yeah, my favorite type. <laughs> Find them at the library. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right, reading anger management books? Like... <laughs> I can't buy this, but I'm going to read it here, okay? I don't know why I said that. <laughs> These birds are known for monogamy and a symbol of love. They are reported to mate for life. However, they will remate if their partner dies. If a male loses their female mate, a young female will join him on his territory. But if he mates with an older female, he'll go to her territory. Ooh, I like that. And I also found it interesting that he provides seven swans of swimming, which is an odd number, which means that one of them doesn't have a mate, which could be his or her slight symboling that the last swan swimming alone represents their desire for a lifelong mate. Oh, dude, you really put a lot of thought into these gifts. I know, because I was like, why would he give her seven? That's so mean. And I was, but it is still kind of mean because that one swan doesn't have anybody. But didn't we talk about like three-way swans a while ago, though? In our sex episode? Yeah, it wasn't great. I don't think that's what he's implying in this song about love. No, no, no. We're just going to say that this is a symbol of his desire, her desire for a lifelong mate. And they are the lone swan swimming alone looking for someone. Much better. Maybe the eighth swan was just one of those swan boats that the swan fell in love with accidentally. Dude, that has happened and it's so sad. I, know, I remember seeing a story about it and the guy had to leave his swan boat out in the winter because the other swan kept trying to like be with it. And I'm like, why do we have swan boats then if swans fall in love with them? Like, don't make it look like a swan. Yeah, make it look like a goose. Then it would have zero interest. Yeah, or a duck. And then it would be like, oh, whatever. I've already had sex five times today. Don't need to mate with this one. Suggestions, people. Okay, so while we have covered all the birds that are discussed in the classic 12 Days of Christmas song, we do have a final fun fact for you, which pertains to the five golden rings. There is a lot of evidence and speculation out there that the five golden rings are referencing the yellowish rings that are found on a pheasant's neck. Or, perhaps, they are referencing gold sphinx, which is an old-timey name for goldfinches. And when you think about it, it actually kind of makes sense considering that every other lyric in the first seven days refers to a bird in the song. But, spoiler alert, this is likely not true, as the 1780 publication that we talked about earlier in the episode 
actually includes an illustration that clearly depicts five gold rings as being jewelry, not birds. But because we're on a birding podcast, we're going to pretend they're birds. Also, let's just make a note that maybe the like writer and illustrator didn't meet before the book went out. And he was like, five golden rings? Uh, I guess this guy's going to just give her five pieces of gold, I guess. I don't know. The birds aren't cutting it. I guess I got to give her some jewelry. Yeah, exactly. And then he goes back to birds. Yeah, because she realized, she's like, dude, what the fuck is with this jewelry? I wanted more birds because I want to put them in my pond and they'll never fly away. This girl must have had like really dope landscaping to house all these birds. I know. She must have lived in like one of those abandoned castles we can visit now. Or maybe she had like, like Jasmine had that cage of birds, you know, in Aladdin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But she'd have to have basically a giant aviary of birds. A girl can dream, can't she? A girl can dream. Although mine would probably be like a little bit heavier on the French hens and lighter on the swans because I think the swans would just kind of terrorize all the other birds. Yeah, I'd say no swans. No swans. They are outside of the aviary. They live outside. Maybe like a cool like macaw that could talk to me. That'd be cool. I love birds. I love birds. All right, speaking of birds, we have one last fun little surprise bird, don't we? Yeah, we wanted to talk about not just about Christmas. So we are going to talk about another holiday, which is Hanukkah, which is the evening of the 22nd of December. One bird that slightly relates to Hanukkah is the dove. In the Old Testament, which is what I know this through, when the earth floods, Noah is brought an olive branch by a dove, symbolizing that the flood was over and they could return to land. So in the Torah, the story goes that the olive branch that the dove brought to Noah was used to make olive oil, which was then passed down through generations, eventually being used as the source of oil that lights the candle that burns for eight days for Hanukkah. So the dove brought light to the world. Thanks, dove. You're the best. I know it's a little bit of a stretch to say it's a Hanukkah bird, but we did want to try and incorporate birds of other religions. So that was our effort at that. A for effort. A for effort. D for dove. H for Hanukkah. That was our holiday Christmas slightly Hanukkah edition of Bird Shit for this week. And it's the last episode of 2019. What? Oh my God. We sang in the last episode of 2019. Because we are feeling in that holiday spirit, we do want to thank everyone who's listened, who bought shirts over the past couple of weeks, and who just enjoyed talking to us about birds or listening to us hearing us talking about birds is what I was going to say. <laughs> listening to us talk about birds. Yeah, I can't believe that hasn't gotten old. I know, and Mo and I are still really enjoying doing this. That's the real Christmas miracle. Yeah, I know, but Mo and I don't want to kill each other yet. And we still love birds, even if all we talk about are birds that people eat in this episode. Is he giving her the birds alive? I don't think we... The only ones that I think are doing a thing are the swans swimming. Well, the geese are laying, so they're not dead either. But what if they're literally just laying there? Six geese a laying on a platter for me to eat. <laughs> Six geese a laying on a gold platter. Nom nom. That's what it is. We should write our own version of this song with like 12 cardinals being red in a tree. Eight blue jays being assholes. <laughs> Two pretty tits. <laughs> Dude, you sometimes I wonder how old you are because you're just like, I'm going to say the word tit and talk about a bird. Oh, it's hilarious. 
So whatever holiday you celebrate or don't celebrate, we hope that you do so potentially with the Christmas bird count or just enjoying the nature in your backyard. Thanks again, like Sarah said, everyone for tuning in this year. We will be back in 2020 with some hot new bird shit for you. And if you have any suggestions of what you'd like to hear in the next year, please send them to us at hellobirdshit at gmail.com or make sure to find us on Instagram at birdshitpodcast and we'll be there on the internet like we always are. And that we might have a Twitter backup soon. Oh yeah, that would be great. Twitter doesn't like me anymore. We're going to have a glow up on our Twitter for sure. In the meantime, keep your eyes to the skies and keep the count alive. <laughs>